our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for adults. Listener discretion is advised. things like that you know no i found a bag of shit today oh that's right i forgot about that it was not dog or cat i could tell by the girth maybe it was a large dog no a fucking bear there's a bear (laughs) going around shitting in alleys it was in the alley at work but it wasn't just shit it was shit in a bag in a bag a black plastic bag that said thank you on it so, um, don't think a bear would shit into a bag. I think it was people poop. It was very troubling. Upon further analysis, I got to thinking there was no urine anywhere. You always urinate when you go boo, when you go poo. You always do. That little bit always comes out. There's no urine anywhere. That means a person shit in a bag and left it behind my store. Was it in the alley or up by the store? It was behind the store not in the alley but sitting against the wall of the store poo 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 no pee pee poo poo so do you think they actually shit into the bag or did they shit on the ground and then pick it up with the bag either answer is the wrong answer (laughs) I'm sure to them it felt right man and when I saw that, I was like, dude, it ain't even 10 o'clock in the fucking morning yet. Yeah, because it was like 9.30 when you texted me that. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a serious case of the Mondays. <laughs> that is probably one of the worst ways to start out a Monday. No pun intended, but it's been a shitty day. <laughs> At least it wasn't flaming. I could, yeah. Old good. I should count my blessings. You know, actually, I'm kind of lucky. Yep. It wasn't on fire. Yeah. You would have instinctively stomped on it. No, I would have just been like, that's probably poop. Because people do that to bags. If you saw but when if you saw a little bag on fire, you're going to be like, that's poop. When you're confronted with an immediate threat such as flames directly in front of you, I think your instinct kicks in and you want to just stomp it out. I would just go the other way. Really? Yep. You'd let the whole building, and it would go up because you got some liquor. <laughs> Yeah, you I, just let it burn. I around had to you. check what it was. It wasn't like curiosity killed the cat, but we have we have a meth problem, and I was like, you know, I bet you there's meth in there. 
There's been meth left in the trash cans at work before. That's why I say there hmm. was not meth in there. Why do they leave meth in the trash cans? To get it later, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't do meth. How do you know it was meth? If you don't do meth. One of the customers was like, dude, that's meth. And we we live in a big meth town. So I believed him. Mm. Are you sure? You sure about what? What did I just say? Are you stashing your meth in your trash cans at work? No. I would just smoke it. <clears throat> I wouldn't sit it out for everybody to just willy-nilly happen across my meth. I'm weird like that, I guess. I guess. Okay, guys, welcome to Martinis in the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. And poop. And poop. Bear poop. (sighs) (laughs) My name's Erica, and I'm joined by my shitty Monday husband, Billy. It's been a day. It's been a day. Well, I would ask you how your day's been, but it's been shitty. I've had a shitty day. I'm sorry. What are you going to do? Yeah. Our day consisted of um, finally getting our new garbage disposal installed, only to find out that the switch that controls it is like shorted out or something. So we can't even use it until we get an electrician in here to fix it. What do I always say? If it rained pussy, I'd get hit in the face with a dick. Yep. And then an appointment with someone to give us an estimate on replacing our furnace that's about to go any day because you know we got this new house and so far we've had to replace the water heater and the kitchen sink and the garbage disposal and tub fix the tub leak and now evidently we're in for like eighty five hundred nine thousand dollars to replace our furnace and the guy that came was here for like two hours just like shooting the shit nicest guy in the world but two hours we've been trying to get through this so we can record we did it yay monday and i've been up since about 2 45 yesterday in the afternoon and it's now 8 40 at night so i'm going on 30 hours without sleep Yay. yay exciting So tonight, we've got a grisly one for you guys. This is actually one of the first ones that I researched. And as our show has progressed, um, I've kind of gotten into deeper research with things. So I went back and redid some research and added some stuff to it. And um, hopefully it comes out sounding somewhat okay. This is the Cleveland Torso Murderer, otherwise known as... The Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Which sounds a lot better. Eh. I guess you have to kind of know what Kingsbury Run is. Still, though, it just, it it hits the ear better. (laughs) Well, there was a still unidentified serial killer in the 1930s around the Kingsbury Run, which is an area on the southeast side of Cleveland, Ohio. That's where he got the name the Cleveland Torso Murderer. Or... The Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Well, I'm just saying. Either or. It'd be weird if this took place in New Orleans and they're like, why the fuck is he called the Cleveland Torso Murderer? <laughs> well, the run is a prehistoric riverbed that was a desolate and dangerous place in the Great Depression 1930s era. It became a quote-unquote hobo jungle filled with shacks hastily built by the quote working poor that 
couldn't really afford their own housing, but yet they were still working, but they didn't have the means to have their own place. So they put up these shacks. Dirt poor. And resorted to living there pretty much in the dirt with a man-made shack around them. It was dirty and trash littered, and the railways ran through the flats, making it an easy stop for transients. Some rode the rails just to escape the bitter winter cold for a while, and others just kept moving to escape whatever haunted them. There was an area to the east of the run called the Roaring Third, which was full of bars, brothels, flop houses, and gambling pens. Places that probably heavily contributed to the population living in the Kingsbury Run. So the Cleveland Torso Murderer, if you're not familiar, killed and dismembered at least 12 victims. 13 is more commonly believed, though. But possibly over 20. Of the canonical or definitive 12 victims, only two were ever positively identified, and one was identified but unofficially. The others were all John and Jane Doe's, and so became mysteries within the larger mystery. The victims were killed between 1935, or 1934 if the 13th victim is included, and 1938. And it's believed they were usually drifters, which is part of why most couldn't be identified. You know, you've got these people moving from place to place. They don't have a steady home. People don't think, oh, well, they're missing. They just think they moved on to the next place. So they never got reported. They have jobs to work, kids to take care of, places to go, bags to poop in. (laughs) True. They do have bags to poop in. Yeah, do what you gotta do. I hear you. (laughs) I've seen it firsthand. The struggle is real. Oh. The victims were both male and female, white and black, but all seemed to come from the lower class of society, the quote-unquote working poor, as mentioned previously, either living in or around the run or traveling through it. The murderer always decapitated the victims and often dismembered them. In most cases, the decapitation was ruled as the actual cause of death, meaning those victims were alive when their heads were cut off. And then heart failure. And then heart failure. That should have been listed as the number one cause on all of them. Why I'm not a coroner, I'll never know. (laughs) Some of them showed signs of chemical burns or treatments to their bodies, and most of the males were castrated. Many of the heads were never recovered, and several victims were only found after long periods of time had passed since their deaths, sometimes over a year. This made identification even more difficult. So, the victims. We're going to cover the canonical 12 in order of discovery and then cover some of the other potential victims and the potential suspects. So, the quote-unquote first body of the 12, a male, was found by two teenage boys on September 23rd of 1935. And they haven't been right since. (laughs) This was at the Jackass Hill area of Kingsbury Run, where East... (laughs) I love this place. (laughs) Where East 49th Street dead ends. His death was estimated to have been two to three days prior to him being found. He was believed to have actually been the second one killed, though. You know, I wonder how it was when everybody was discovered. Because it's not like you just found a dead body. You found a torso. So you know it took a minute. You know, like, your your eyes, your brain doesn't process that immediately because you're like, 
Wait, stop, guys. What? Stop, stop. What is that? What is that? Get it, get, get it closer. Get a stick. Get a stick. <laughs> Several of the bodies were found, as you describe. I don't know that his necessarily was. I didn't read anything about him actually being dismembered other than the head and castration. But they did find rope burns were on both of his wrists. He had been decapitated, emasculated, and completely drained of blood. The cause of death was listed as decapitation, meaning he was alive when his head came off. If you want to know what that's like, check out some videos of people getting their fucking heads cut off. You could find them. (laughs) It's not a pretty sight or sound. Nope. Yeah, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Actually, all you gotta do is see one. Then you've seen one too many. Yeah. Fingerprints identified this victim as Edward Andrasi, a rumored homosexual with an arrest record that frequented the Roaring Third, where they had all the bars and brothels. The place is so cool. <laughs> the Roaring Third, Jackass Hill, Kingsbury Run. That's just cool. Yeah. I, I would say I want to go, but I don't. No. I already saw a bag of shit today. I'm cool. <laughs> one bag of shit's enough, huh? Just like That's decapitation. Just like decapitation videos. One just bag of one. shit is one too many. <laughs> well, Mr. Andrasi here was found lying just about 30 feet from the next body that was found. <laughs> So that's where they get the idea that he was actually the second one killed because the other body, even though it was found second, they believe was actually killed first. This body was labeled John Doe number one because they could never identify him. He was found the same day. He was also decapitated and emasculated and his head was never recovered. (laughs) You know, those poor kids, after they found that first one, they're like, oh my God, there's one over here. And one of the kids had to be like, What's happening? (laughs) Why are there so many bodies here? Dead bodies everywhere! Run! Get out of Jackass Hill! Well, this John Doe, his skin had signs of being treated with some type of chemical, and his skin was kind of red and leathery. Initial estimates on his date of death were 7 to 10 days prior, but that was later revised to 3 to 4 weeks, putting his date of death in late August or early September prior to when Edward Andrasi was found. So it put his date of death in late August or early September, which was prior to when they dated Edward having been killed. This guy was believed to have been the first killed. Next body was Florence Genevieve Polillo. She was found January 26th and February 27th. Yes, that's two separate dates. In that's 1936. <laughs> You know that she, reminds me of? She was found in parts. You know what that reminds me of? Hmm. Is the movie Predator, the first one? Mm-hmm. I forget who it was. I think his name, no, it wasn't Billy. It was somebody, right? And they're like, did you find him? And like, it shows like Arnold Schwarzenegger's face like close to the camera, but kind of over the shoulders, the, the guy he's talking to. He's like, did you find him? And he's like, which part? And you see him just look at the camera like, oh, shit. <laughs> Well, the parts were found in downtown Cleveland and Orange Avenue, respectively. That's a stupid name. That's not as good as the other ones. (laughs) They were wrapped in newspaper and packed into two half-bushel baskets. 
For some reason, the body was not dismembered until rigor mortis had set in. So maybe the killer was interrupted and had to come back to finish. Maybe it's easier. You know, if you take bacon and you put it in a freezer for like 10 minutes, then it's a lot easier to slice. Maybe. Proceed. But I'm thinking this might be the only body that was in rigor when they were dismembered. It would be so easy to just give it one good hack. Yeah. I think these people were actually disarticulated. That's a good word. Yeah. Alright. Somebody's using that thesaurus I bought her. So, Miss Florence's head was decapitated, which was her cause of death as well, but it was never recovered. Well, how do we know it was the cause of death? I ask you. I'm not a medical examiner. I couldn't tell you that. There's a chicken that has head cut off. I think it lived for a fucking year. You can look it up. These medical people, they don't know what they're talking about. That's right. We should all just go with Billy's find model a, of find a bag of shit. Find a bag of shit in an alley. You'll find yourself. You're now a seasoned man, and you're a man about the world. Oh no, no, you were seasoned when we covered the toxic lady, and you just said the people just need to calm the fuck down, and that solves everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, chill. Just calm the fuck. Calm down. down. You, I know your head's missing, but calm down. Have you tried sitting down and taking a couple of breaths and thinking about where you last left it? Left it pretty much wherever the killer chopped it off at. Detective of the year over here. Really? Yeah. You? Yeah. Really? Detective Snuggle Bunny Jones? You. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a regular gumshoe. Hmm. I'm so fucking smart. <laughs> what are you laughing on. at? What's funny? <laughs> Flo was identified through her fingerprints as well. People at Progressive knew her. <laughs> Florence had been a waitress, barmaid, and a prostitute, which is why they had her fingerprints. And she was living on the edge of the Roaring Third at the time of her death. She was both the third found and believed to have been the third killed. But at this point, who's counting? I'm counting. Oh, God. When did you graduate from Killjoke University? Um, a long time ago. <laughs> two boys found the head of a white male wrapped in men's trousers near the east 55th street bridge around june 5th of 1936 this is why you don't go out walking you people out walking discover dead bodies i've noticed most of these were found by children teenagers adolescents usually not adults that found these people i thought that was kind of odd they probably walked past it because it's the what's it called the, the Roaring Third? The Roaring Third. Man, they ain't got time for that shit. They walked by and it was like, oh, there's a dead body. And he was like, ooh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> but you got a little kid going around like, ha, 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 ha. It's 1930s and I'm doing kid stuff. Ha, 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 ha. What's that? I, I, get, I don't know what they did in the 30s. That's why I was just getting ready to ask you. Was, what, did, what did kids in the 1930s do because they're kids? They did that stick circle. S- stick circle? The stick circle. Where they had the circle of wood, and they had a stick, and they kept pushing it down. They played kick the kid with one shoe. <laughs> Get ready to say. <laughs> kick the kid with one shoe. Kick the kid with one shoe. <laughs> I was waiting on you to finish. Damn it, you stole my thunder. <laughs> I gotta watch that commercial. 
If you get a chance, YouTube kick the kid with one shoe. It's fucking great. <laughs> so, the two boys found the head, and the next day the body was found. This was no John. Rush. <laughs> no this, rush. This was John Doe number two, or otherwise known as the Tattooed Man. He was estimated to have been dead only two days, which means when they found the head, he would have only been dead one day. He was called the Tattooed Man because he had six distinct tattoos, which included the names Helen and Paul. Hey, Paul! <laughs> hey, Paul! He was decapitated while alive and drained of blood. A plaster death mask was made and put on display along with the tattoo chart at the Great Lakes Exposition of 1936. His death mask can still be seen at the Cleveland Police Museum. And despite the tattoos and the death mask, they still couldn't figure out who the fuck this guy was. John Doe number three, and just for clarity, the John and Jane Doe's, they didn't label like John Doe one through five and Jane Doe one through five. It's either John or Jane and then the number. So it's like, if it's a John found first, it's John Doe number one. If it's uh, Jane Doe that's found second. It's Jane Doe number two. Oh, so I see. that's it, it kind of confused me when I was researching, but that's what they did is it was one, two, three, four, and then they just put Jane or John in front of it based on their sex. So just based on gender and the order you're found. Yeah, Got exactly. It. So John Doe number three was thought to be the fourth killed. Confusing, I know. His headless body was found by a teenage girl, once again a teenager, while she was walking through the woods. You know, you deserve to find a dead body <laughs> if you're just walking through the woods willy-nilly. <laughs> willy-nilly? Yeah. She was just all willy-nilly walking through the woods, You can't play kick huh? the kid with one shoe. You can't play stick circle. <laughs> you can't play kick the can. You can't play, look, it's depression era. That's a sad game. You can't do any of that shit. What are you doing in the fucking woods? <laughs> He was found in the Big Creek area of Brooklyn, west of Cleveland, and is the only known West Side victim. His head and a pile of bloody clothes were found nearby. He was estimated to have been killed two months prior. He had been dismembered while still alive. Not just his head, dismembered. I bet you his last words were like, stop. <laughs> that hurts. Cut it out. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of blood at this one scene and was one of the only, if not the only victim, believed to have been killed at the site where they were found. All of the rest of them... Were dumped? Pretty much. Well, I mean, one of them wasn't a fucking trash They can. were decapitated and bled dry. And then the bodies were just found. But so many of them were found so long after they'd been killed that I don't know if you could have determined... If that was the kill site or not. But. Yeah. yeah you like that one cop who looks at the ground. is like. God. People need to quit playing with the fucking chalk. <laughs> it looks like. That. That looks like the state of Maine. Somebody just drew the state of Maine. I was like. Sir. That's the. That's the. That's the body outline. Oh. God. <laughs> um, the next one. Was John Doe number four. He was found September 10th of 1936 in Kingsbury Run after a transient tripped over the torso. You know, I give credit where credit's due. This serial killer did not dilly-dally. Mm -mm. He got it done. 
Yep. I'm not going to give him a high five. <laughs> the lower half of his torso and parts of both legs were found in a nearby sewer when divers were sent in to look for further body parts. Over 600 people came out and watched the recovery. Because, of course, by then this was big news. Well, you don't have Netflix. <laughs> True. You got kicked the kid with one shoe. Yeah. And stick circle. <laughs> stick circle. You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what it's called. I don't either. It's <laughs> called stick circle. Hit the circle with the stick. <laughs> well, this victim was in his late 20s, and his cause of death was decapitation. It was determined that he had been dead for two days, and physicians noted that there were no hesitation marks found on the body. He had been cut swiftly and with precision, and investigators started to believe that the killer was familiar with human anatomy. Or a samurai. Or that. We can't rule this out, guys. But at this point, he had already killed at least four people. So, my opinion, wouldn't he already have some familiarity with human anatomy? Just based off of that alone? Just based off of experience. <laughs> I mean... He's done it four other times, at least, that he, we know of. He knows what comes off you, arms and legs and heads. Yeah, so I don't know that... Your thigh bone's connected to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point in time, like I said, this was big news. So tension in the city rose to an incredibly high level by this time, especially with the newspapers printing stories about the murders almost daily. Mayor Harold Burton began to pressure Elliot Ness, recently appointed safety director, to get more involved. And we'll talk more about Ness later. Surely you are familiar with his name. He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> the coroner called for meetings involving police, the coroner, and other experts to create a quote-unquote profile of the killer. Of course, back then they didn't use the word profile, but that's kind of what they were getting to. They're like, what makes this guy tick? And, yeah, they were and they're like, like arms and legs. They were like, let's have a brainstorm on this. So the profile they came up with was that the offender was a psychopath, though most likely not insane. They assumed, as said previously, that he would be familiar with human anatomy, possibly a physician, a butcher, or a hunter, someone skilled with cutting flesh. They thought he might have had a private space for the beheadings since there was no blood at most of the scenes. And if this were correct, then they felt he had to be large and strong to be able to carry the bodies long distances to dump them. The group also... Well, when you dump them, they're in separate pieces. Not necessarily. The first few were just headless. Well, then they're lighter. Oh, eight pounds? Hey, man, every pound counts. <laughs> pound for pound. <laughs> The group also theorized that the victims were beheaded as a way to try to conceal their identities, which ha would have made him what we now today call an organized offender. Now, as I was reading over this, I'm not really sure that I agree with this, since several of the victims' causes of death was the actual beheading, not necessarily done post-mortem to try and you know, keep the identity from getting out. They did this as a way to kill them, was to cut off their head. Making it so the heads were never found, yeah, I could see that. 
but I don't necessarily buy that the beheadings were done for identity concealment. If that was the cause of death, I, I'm not sure I believe all that, but just my opinion. The media dubbed this little get-together of the police and coroner and everybody. Uh, they called it a torso clinic. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Two detectives, Peter Marillo and Martin Zaluski. that sound right? Zaluski. Zaluski. Zaluski were put on the case full-time. And they often went undercover in The Run and The Roaring Third, dressed as hobos and transients, trying to fit in with the crowd there and see if maybe they could find their killer. <laughs> and you see him going up to like a big trash can that's on fire, you know, and people are like warming up their hands. And he's like, oh, man, you know, I plan on getting their head cut off tonight. <laughs> I can't wait. Where y'all going? I'm not a cop. That's actually a brave move because you could easily get chopped up you could going into 1937 jane doe number five was found in february on the 23rd a woman's torso washed up on euclid beach on the lake erie shore this was the same spot that the potential 13th victim was found in 1934 nicknamed the lady of the lake and we'll discuss her more later since she was not officially declared one of the original kills. Non-canonical. Exactly. Jane Doe number five was in her mid-twenties and had been decapitated after death this time. Her head was never recovered. She had been dead three to four days and was believed to have been the eighth victim. Her lower half washed up on shore near East 30th Street three months later. Jane Doe number six was the only black victim. Hold on. Was this person found by a kid? I don't know. It didn't specify. If I had to assume, yes. I'm looking at it. Yeah, it is. Who she... are you talking about? Jane Doe number five or number six? Six. Oh, yeah, six? Yes, she was found That's by a teenage boy. Yeah. Well, you said, wait, hold on. I didn't know if you were talking about no, the last no. one or this one. Yes, the black victim, Jane Doe number six, she was found by a teenage boy. Under the Lorraine Carnegie Bridge on the 6th of June, 1937. What are you doing underneath the bridge? He was being a kid, playing kick the kid with one shoe under the bridge. I guess I just, I guess I just didn't know how to be a kid. <laughs> Thank God, I could have found a body. A skull was found with a burlap sack of skeletal remains next to it, minus a rib. They deduced that she was about 40 and petite, Dental records led to her possibly being Rose Wallace, but she was never officially identified. She had died a year prior as the sixth victim. Wait, you said Jane Doe number six. She died a year prior as a sixth victim? She was a sixth victim, and she was Jane Doe number six. Oh, and she died a year prior, which is why they found skeleton and not got it. Yep. Got it. So by this time, the National Guard had been called in to maintain order due to labor problems in the flats that summer. They were called the National Guard Clinic. A guardsman near the West 3rd Street Bridge spotted a piece of the next victim in a tugboat's wake. The rest of the remains were recovered from the Cuyahoga River over the next few days. John Doe, number 7, was found with no head around July 6, 1937. You know, at this point, it can't be shocking anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
He was thought to be in his mid to late 30s. He had been gutted and his heart was pulled out. A new viciousness to the murders that hadn't been seen before. Which probably didn't help the whole heart failure thing. True. I sped it up, to be honest. He had been dead for two to three days and was thought to be victim number nine as well as being the ninth found. Then we've got Jane Doe number eight, believed to have been the last killed of the 12 canonical victims. Her lower leg was the only part recovered on April 8th of 1938. They ironically found it on a twister mat. (laughs) Left foot blue. When a laborer on his way to work saw what he initially thought was a dead fish on the banks of the river. A big ass fish. And then a few weeks later on May 2nd, a thigh was found floating in the Cuyahoga River east of the Third Street Bridge. I feel bad for the fisherman because you had to think maybe he thought like, man, we're going to eat good tonight and fuck probably tomorrow too. (laughs) And like after the after him being horrified, there had to be a part where he was just like, "Aw, you know how like they're like, oh James, that fish gets bigger every time you tell the story. It's like, <laughs> oh James, that leg gets bigger every time you tell the story. <laughs> I was there, Janet. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, after they found um, the lower leg and then the thigh. Police searched under the bridge and found a burlap sack containing her torso, cut into halves, another thigh, and a left foot. The rest of the body, including her head and arms, were never found. She was the only victim found to have drugs in her system, so investigators wondered if she was just an addict or if maybe drugs were used as a way to immobilize her. Her date of death was estimated to have been three to five days prior to April 8th when the leg was initially found. Jane Doe number nine was found on the East 9th Street Lakeshore dump on August 16th, 1938 by three scrap collectors who had been forging the area. Because they were bored. Forging. Yep. Actually, they probably probably thought they saw something really cool. You know how like it shimmered in the light and stuff because it was waxy and they thought the same thing as a fisherman. Like, oh man! I saw it first, dibs, and they got halfway there, and the dude's like, Earl, you can keep that shit up. <laughs> no take backs. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Her torso was found wrapped in a man's double-breasted blazer and again in a quilt. Think she's okay? Probably not. Oh. It was just a torso. <sighs> Bummerville, population me. Gotta have a brain to be okay. I don't know. I don't know about that. You gotta have some type of synapses firing otherwise you're not okay as long as you got a black plastic bag that says thank you you can make shit happen oh god literally ew ew you had a black plastic bag that said thank you today did you make shit happen no but they did (laughs) somebody did so the torso was found wrapped up and then the legs and arms were found in a recently constructed makeshift box wrapped in brown butcher paper and held together with rubber bands. So this one was kind of like a packaged setup. Makes me think of like gangs in New York. <laughs> the body showed signs that it may have been refrigerated. Her head, which was similarly wrapped, was recovered. She was victim number 11 and had died four to six months prior. While searching for more pieces of her body, police found a second body 
only yards away. The second body was labeled John Doe number 10. This was a decapitated male whose head was found in a can. In a fucking can. He was believed to have died seven to nine months prior, making him the tenth victim. You know, there had to have been some type of press release where, like, you know, you guys travel in pairs. Um, there's a serial killer out. And if you're out and about and you find a piece of a person that's not connected to the person, if it's not where it's supposed to be, stop. And check your surroundings. There's probably more. Yeah. Not even more of that person. More of a different person. Yeah, just take a secondary glance around. See what, what you can find. It's like it, it's like there was this big pinata over the city. And somebody hit it. It's just like arms and legs and heads. And just, <laughs> Body parts. It's raining, man. <laughs> In a can. Well... And I just have to say, going back to the whole possibly cutting off their heads to hide their identity, well, half these people were found and their heads were found. So if they were really trying to hide their identity, wouldn't they make sure that every single one was not found? Wouldn't he be like the governor in The Walking Dead? He would just have an aquarium full of heads? Yeah, you'd think. He wouldn't have wrapped the head up in the butcher paper, too. Nah, he's like, I think he's just doing it for fun. It's a boot scoot boogie, and he's just cutting heads off where he finds them. Maybe. But it's of note to point out, neither of these last two victims were identified, and both have been placed in an area that was in the direct line of sight from Elliot Ness's office window. Almost as if it was deliberate. And it, if that one had really been dead seven to nine months, was he? Were these people that have been dead this long period of time, had they really sat where they were for that many months, or was the killer keeping them somewhere and then dumping them months and months later? Kind of a curious question I had. Mister Ness, we found a body shortly outside your window. Was the arm there? Yeah. Hand attached? Yes, sir. Was it flipping me the bird? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Why is this fucking office window overlooking a dump? I don't know. It was a hard time back then, I guess. <laughs> or he could have just been really fucking into his job. Like, you know, get me as close to the place as possible. Like, I want to work in the community and I want to get a feel for it type of thing. I don't want to dress up as a fucking hobo and hang out with him. But I need to be around the... To, to get a feel for the place. Maybe it was a rented office. It wasn't even a federal office. I think it was a city office. I think it was a city hall. Okay, fine. It was a city hall and there was a dump. Jeez. City hall is really that close to a dump, huh? Good job, Ohio. You really know how to treat your politicians right. I like Ohio. They have Kings Island. True. And Cedar Point. Yeah. And Great Wolf Lodge. Mm-hmm. And I used to live there. But that's where you saw a pterodactyl. Saw a pterodactyl there, too. That is a drawback. Yep. Didn't find any fucking bodies. I got that going for me. True. Yeah. Or parts. Yeah. Even better, really. So, some other potential victims. As I mentioned before, the Lady of the Lake. She was found washed up on the Lake Erie shore on September 5th of 1934. In virtually the same spot as Jane Doe number 5. Who washed up, like, a year later. Only the lower half of her torso with the thighs attached was found. So, no 
upper torso, head, arms, no lower legs, just like from pelvis to knees. There were signs of a chemical used on the skin, turning it red, tough, and leathery, much like, who was that, John Doe number two? I lost count. One of the early ones made this just really tough, leathery skin. Some researchers, and this has been more common, you know, in recent times, they now consider her the true first victim, or quote-unquote victim zero is how she's labeled, but she was only added to the list two years after she was found. Because, of course, by then they started having all these bodies and body parts pop up. And they were like, hmm, she was a body part. She was washed up on the same spot. Let's call her a victim. Yay. So, my personal opinion, she probably was related to all of these killings. She ain't gonna complain. Now, on July 1st of 1936, a headless, unidentified male was found in a boxcar in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And near McKees Rock, Pennsylvania, on May 30th, 1940, Three headless victims were found in boxcars. Dismembered bodies were also found in swamps near Newcastle between 1921 and 1934, and between 1939 and 1942, which perfectly bookends the Kingsbury Run murders. So, one could assume that this was a traveling murderer for certain years, that they went to this place in Pennsylvania and killed these people for this period of time, moved to Ohio and killed people for a block of time, and then went back to Pennsylvania and continued killing. Due to the similarities in the murders and a direct connection between Cleveland and Newcastle via a Baltimore and Ohio railroad line, Cleveland detective Peter Marlowe, who was already going undercover as a transient hobo, He was convinced that the murders were all connected. The trains ran twice a day between the two cities, and the detective often rode the rails undercover looking for clues. Then on July 22nd of 1950, 41-year-old Robert Robertson, (laughs) gotta love names like that. Creative fucking parents. Steve Stevenson. Mm Mm-hmm. William Williamsburg. He was found at a business on Davenport Avenue in Cleveland. He was intentionally decapitated and had been dead for six to eight weeks. And what you don't know is that business sold hats. It's kind of ironic. How much of a bummer would it be? (laughs) (laughs) Despite matching the profile of the other victims and the murderer's M.O., his death was considered an isolated crime, though it could potentially be related. Now, Elliot Ness is famous for his posthumous reputation as leader of the Untouchables. He oversaw the official investigation into the killings in his capacity as Cleveland's safety director. On August 18th of 1938, at 12.40 a.m., two days after the last of the canonical 12 were found, Ness and a group of 35 police officers and detectives raided the shanty towns of Kingsbury Run. The raiders worked their way south through the run, gathering up 63 men in total. And at dawn, the shacks were searched for clues. Once they completed that, Ness ordered that the shacks 
these people's homes, mind you, to be set on fire and burned to the ground. So we're going to go in and raid your shit, take your men, and then burn your fucking house to the ground. Yeah. Of course, he was severely criticized by the press for his actions, and the public became frustrated and afraid. You know, it would look like, to me, it would look like, okay, if I was if I was a, you know, a citizen there, I'd be like, man, they really don't know what the fuck they're doing, and they have no idea what's going on, and they're getting really fucking drastic. They're getting desperate, and they're rounding up everybody and burning shit down. Yeah, and if you think that's going to fix the homeless <clears throat> problem, all you're doing is just flushing them into the city where you don't want them to be. Well, and the other thing is, too, is if you're flushing them into the city, they're going to be harder to track. At least you know it's happening in Kingsbury Run. Yeah, it's it's in this general location where all these bodies are found. So let's burn all their shit down and take these men in illegally to question them all. I'm sorry. I have a problem with that. I know this was back in the 1930s and shit, but I have an issue with that. So... The Suspects. On August 24th of 1939, Cleveland resident Frank Dolezal was arrested as a suspect in Florence Polillo's murder. He had lived with Florence for a while, and it was later determined that he was acquainted with Edward Andrasi and Rose Wallace. Kind of because they all ran in the same circles, going to the same bars, things like that. Most researchers believe there's no direct evidence connecting him to the murders, but he did confess to killing Florence in self-defense at one point in time. But he later recanted that, saying that he had been beaten until he confessed. He died in the Cuyahoga County Jail under suspicious circumstances. You see, he was five foot eight and had allegedly hanged himself from a hook five foot seven off the ground, which in itself isn't too incredibly strange. I've seen multiple hanged people that are taller than the length of rope that they had. I saw a person who hung themselves from uh, the cord of a public telephone pole, or a public telephone. Yeah, you just have to let your knees buckle. If you really want it, it can be done. But it was discovered after his death that he had six broken ribs, which friends of his say he didn't have six weeks prior when he had been arrested. And I would assume he probably didn't because six weeks would be long enough that you could probably heal your ribs by. Yeah. I've had broken ribs. I've broken ribs twice now. And I'd say about six weeks is what it takes to heal them up. So, kind of suspicious. Now, the main suspect is Dr. Francis Sweeney. Dun, dun, Uh. (laughs) Sweeney was a surgeon, an alcoholic, and a veteran of World War I and had been assigned to a medical unit that conducted amputations and patching in the field. In 1933, just the year before the Kingsbury Run murders began, His own wife went to the probate court and requested that he be picked up and evaluated, stating his alcoholism was getting progressively worse. She claimed he was abusive to not only her, but his two sons, and that he disappeared for days at a time. He also happened to be the cousin of Congressman Martin L. Sweeney. We all all know who he is, right, gang? 
But he had ties to a high political seat, is what I'm saying. He was personally interviewed by Elliot Ness. It's said that during the interrogation, Sweeney failed to pass two very early polygraph machine tests. The week after the last victims were found, Sweeney committed himself into the Sandusky Soldiers and Sailors Home, a mental hospital where police could no longer get to him and there were no more leads that police could connect to him as a suspect. Sandusky's awesome. That's where Cedar Point is. So he basically found a way to get out of being interviewed and have the police come at him. Just admit yourself. There you go. Kind of smart when you think about it. Mm Mm-hmm. While Sweeney was confined to the hospital in the 1950s, threatening postcards with Sweeney's name were sent to Ness and his family, mocking and harassing them. Now, most were incoherent ramblings, but some were just to taunt Ness. One he signed, F.E. Sweeney, Paranoidal Nemesis. As a reminder, the last two victims found at the Lakeshore Dump were both in view from Elliot Ness's shitty office window as if mocking him similar to the postcards he was now receiving from Sweeney. He was diagnosed as schizophrenic while at the the hospital. Another possible connection with Sweeney comes from a man named Emil Fronick. He claimed that in November of 1934 he was walking up Broadway Avenue looking for food. He somehow ended up on the second floor of a doctor's office when the doctor offered him a meal. As he was eating, he began to feel woozy. I'm getting a little woozy here. (laughs) And he began to wonder if he'd been drugged. And Sweeney was like, how do you like that head of yours? You aren't really attached to that head, are you? You're not married to it, are you? (laughs) He allegedly ran back out into Broadway and into Kingsbury Run. He said he climbed into a boxcar and passed out for three days. He said he went back and looked for the doctor's office near Broadway and East 55th, but wasn't able to locate it. He decided Cleveland was too dangerous for his liking and moved the fuck to Chicago. He thought Chicago (laughs) was safer than Cleveland. Chicago. Must be pretty bad in Cleveland. Must have been back in the 30s and 40s. And this was... When did I say? He said that happened in 1934. Now, it took until August of 1938, but his story actually got back to Cleveland. And Detective Peter Marillow was sent to Chicago to bring him back. Two policemen drove Froneck up Broadway And when they got around East 50th to East 55th Street, he said, it's here someplace, but he couldn't find it. This could have been explained by the fact that Sweeney's office was actually in a house, not a medical building. And an alley ran behind it, which may have been a good place for Fronick to have looked for food. It may have been a good place to take a black plastic bag that says thank you and just take a big dump in the fucking thing. (laughs) And just leave it up by the building. Leave it for Billy. (laughs) So, if Fronek was searching for food and was wandering up the alley, it's quite possible if this house that actually has a medical office in it, you know, the doctor could have come down and said, hey, I'll feed you, come on up. 
And then he wouldn't have been able to find it later because he's looking for a doctor's office. But he, if he didn't go into the front, he wouldn't necessarily know that it was a house. I get it. It'd be so, like, it'd be like where, you know, where, where's the garage took the car? Where, where's the mechanics off, you know, garage? And it's like, well, I don't know. But you, you find out it's some dude's actual fucking garage mm-hmm. with no sign. It's like, well, I don't know. It could be anything. Yeah. I was drugged. I don't know. <laughs> I slept for three days. I've been <laughs> I've been sitting in Chicago trying to get rid of the nightmares of this fucking place you dragged me back to. Well, regardless of all this, you know, it could have been. Investigators in their official report declared that Fronek's story had nothing to do with the butcher killings. Which... I think it would be more likely than not that it did. Just my personal opinion. And the killings reportedly stopped after Sweeney committed himself. He died in a VA hospital in Dayton in 1964. But he is still believed to this day to be the main suspect in the case. Now, although it was thought that official police records on this case had been lost or destroyed... The daughter of the late Detective Marilowe contacted the Cleveland Police Museum in 2011 and informed them that she has copies of Marilowe's files on the case. So some do exist, but it's unclear from what I could find in my research if she has since shared them with the Cleveland Police or the museum or if she still has them in her possession. I couldn't really find any follow-up to that. The death mask made of the tattooed man along with three other death masks from some of the victims that weren't identified, are currently on display at the Cleveland Police Museum, and you can go and see them. And the last thing I came across was a theory that the butcher could be related to the Black Dahlia case. Body was cut in half, drained of blood. It's possible she wasn't decapitated, But I think they're thinking because of, you know, the precision of the cuts, her being cut in half and drained of blood, that that seemed pretty similar. Was it that precise, though, for Black Dahlia? Wasn't there cuts on her that didn't even make it all the way through? I don't recall that. Like... I thought she was cut pretty precisely. I'll have to... to And drained of blood. It looked like one of the cuts, like, made it to, like, the backbone and it just stopped. Hmm. No, she was split completely in half. Oh. Because she, was, she wasn't even, like, lined up. Her body wasn't lined up. She was, like, one part here and one part here. I'm going to go ahead and put it out now. I don't want to do an episode on a Black Dahlia. Yeah, it's kind of been done a lot. Yeah. Black Dahlia and H.H. H. Holmes, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, this one, even though it's kind of a... A big undertaking. There's a lot of murders. And it's probably been done before, I would assume. Um, but this one is one that I don't think uh, too many people know about. So I thought it'd be one that would be interesting to cover. Yeah, this would be a kick-ass movie if it was done right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And one more theory that I found. It proposed that Sweeney's cousin, the congressman learned that Dr. Sweeney was a suspect for the murders, which might tarnish his family name and career in politics. 
so he may have made a deal with the investigating sheriff to find another suspect, and that is when Frank Dolezal was arrested and died suspiciously in jail. Ah. Hmm. He may have told Sweeney, hey man, you need to get your ass to that fucking hospital ASAP. Yep. Get your shit together. Yeah. Put it in a backpack. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's probably like it, it's in every fucking like diabolical political thing where, you know, the, the line is in every fucking crazy political movies. Like, I'm tired of cleaning up your mess. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those type of things. And yeah. You're batshit crazy. You're cutting up people like their sausages. And man, what, what, why did you do that to that well, person's I mean, head? And, if his own wife, and this was in 1930s, you know, when women were still the underdog and weren't considered equal, if his own wife's going to the courts and saying, you need to fucking lock this dude up and assess him because he is fucking crazy. You know, and his alcoholism's gotten worse. He's getting abusive. What other shit was he doing that we don't know about? Yeah. It's quite possible that he was the killer. It is possible. And like I said, I I don't think he was described as being, you know, a tall, extraordinarily strong man. But, you know, what if the person had a wheelbarrow? What if they had a wagon? What if they had something to wheel these people out to where they were and just dump their body off? And if they weren't found for months or a year later, how long had they sat there and decomposed before he actually took the body out there to dump when it could have only weighed 50 pounds? I mean, if it's all dried and shriveled up and leathery. Here's what I say. What if he drained the blood but didn't decapitate him and didn't dismember them until he got to where he dumped the body? There's this cool documentary you need to check out. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's a two-parter. It's called Weekend at Bernie's. So what, <laughs> so what he might have done was got two really cool guys that are really hip. And then got the body and put some sunglasses on them. And they walked around to an 80s music montage. What's that have to do with decapitation? Well, when they got to where, you know, they were like, I can't carry him anymore. And they were like, fuck it, drop him. And then he cut off the head and was like, let's do things with it. And that's why the body parts were found in different places. They were like, let's play hide and seek, scavenger hunt. Okay. Ali, Ali, oxygen free. Cover your eyes. I see you. I see you. You cover your eyes, you scoundrel. I right, go and go play stick and circle thing. And he took the body parts and threw them like a bride at the fucking wedding just threw it like a fucking bouquet and they're like go get him and they're like i'm gonna get it first no i'm gonna get it first and you should you get it every time and all that shit and he's just watching like oh you guys out there joshing new boot goofing there's my theory yep just watch watch a documentary i am not a medical examiner but i'm pretty sure they can tell if cuts were made before death or after death because of the cuts in the capillaries and the veins and the bleeding. So I don't think he so, played yeah. around with the so, body for a while and then cut their heads sure. off. Sure. So, so like you said, I'm probably right. I did not say that. <sighs> Maybe you heard that, but that's not what I said. I think that's what happened. You, you think that. I am. Feel free, you guys, if you think Billy's right about the weekend at Bernie's theory on the 
mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. If you think I'm right, post it on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag Weekend at Bernie's. Hashtag Weekend at Bernie's. Yep. Hashtag that's stupid. Ignore that hashtag. The hashtag I said. Do that one. Hashtag stupid fucking Weekend at Bernie's. <gasps> that is the best documentary I think I've ever seen. It's not a documentary. Honey. You shut your fucking mouth. You shut yours. Hashtag shut your fucking mouth. Don't hashtag that, guys. I'm going to hashtag it. Oh, my God. You just wait. All right. So that wraps up the Cleveland Torso Murderer. Kind of gruesome. All these body parts just showing up. Kids finding them. People tripping over them. They ain't kids no more. As soon as you find a dead body... You're not a kid no more. <laughs> they grew up quick in the 30s. Congratulations, you're now a man. <laughs> That's actually when Monopoly was made because people couldn't go out and do things because they were poor. So they had a board game they could play. They had a board game that drove you into a murderous rage. <gasps> oh, oh, God, new theory. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking played a lot of Monopoly, lost a Monopoly and lost a lot. And she didn't mention that shit to the cops because they knew they, they would laugh at her. And, he, and she was like, but like, she, like walking up to the police department was like, I'm going to tell him about fucking Monopoly. And about how I keep getting boardwalk. And about how he keeps getting mad. He has to keep going to jail. He flipped the table three times. And then he took it out on the kids. And I'm going to fucking say it. How can I help you? My husband is an alcoholic and he's 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 gone a lot. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure that that happened, but maybe. It could. Maybe. It could have. Yeah. It could have. Hashtag Monopoly Top Hat is my piece. Hashtag Weekend of Bernie's. <laughs> hashtag Billy's Right. Hashtag Hashtag. Ha- hashtag Glasses Off. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We want to, of course, thank Phaser765. For the music and artwork for this week's episode, you will hear one of his new songs at the end of the episode. We want to invite you guys to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis and the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. We would also like to invite you to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. If there's an option to do it, please do so. And we just got a shipment in of stickers. So for any of you who have given us a review, whatever podcatcher you get it from, or even if it's just something on post on Facebook or Twitter, send us uh, a screenshot of that with your address. We will send you guys a sticker. And if you're Heather, Kate, or Cooper... Just give us your contact. Yeah. We'll just give you one. <laughs> yeah. You guys are our, our go-to, so you guys are going to get one anyway. So anyone else that is interested in getting a sticker, give us a, a rating and a review. Of course, five stars would be appreciated, but we'll take whatever. Uh, screenshot it. Send it to us on Facebook, Twitter, you know, private message. However you want to do it, email us at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com with your address in the screenshot and we will send you a sticker. Of course, we want you to visit the website martinisandthemacabre.com 
There is a full episode listing. Uh, you just click on the picture. It'll take you to the link to play that episode. has all of our previous episodes on there. There's also a bio page. You can learn a little bit more about Billy and I. There is a music page with a full track listing of all of Phaser 765's music that we've used on the podcast. All the ones previous to this one. And we will, of course, upload whichever one we choose to use at the end of this episode. I don't ever decide until after I've edited. So I can try and find a song that kind of has the same... I try and find something that has kind of the same vibe as what we've been discussing. That's just something weird that I do. So I don't know what song is coming up for you guys. But it'll be something cool, I'm sure. So yeah, you can check that out. There's also a contact page. So you can send us an email. Or like I said, you can email us directly at martinismcob at gmail.com. And we want to let you guys know the geeky.com is back up and running. That's where you get your official Martinis and the Macabre shirts. And you have hoodies now. Mm-hmm. Yes. So check that out along with a huge array of fantastic t-shirts that Billy has put up there. About over a hundred. Over a hundred. So yeah, check that out if you're looking for gifts. Not everything on there is Martinis and Macabre. There's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Order some shit for people for Christmas. That would be fantastic. Or just do it just to do yeah. it. Because Christmas or, is about over. Anyway. Yeah, or I mean, yeah. buy it for yourself. You buy something, take a picture of it, put it up on our Facebook or our Twitter. We'd love to see it. Speaking of, our big fan Heather ordered a hoodie off me. Um, It's being processed right now, Heather. And so she asked me if I could design a hoodie pullover. I'm working on that right now, too. But in honor of our good fan Heather, anything you buy, including you, Heather, (laughs) When you get to the checkout page, input the promo code HEATHER, <laughs> and you'll get 10% off your purchase. Yes! Go, Heather. Go, Heather. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> so, yeah, use that promo code, get 10% off, have yourself a merry fucking Christmas. Woo! And uh, that about wraps it up for this one. We will catch you guys in two weeks with our Christmas episode. I've actually started researching that one. And it is involving a case that happened around Christmas time. Fancy that. Hmm. But it's 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 just all kinds of bads. Yeah, I don't think it'd be good. <laughs> it's gonna be another gruesome one for you guys. So make sure you stay tuned. And you know, at the end of this month, it'll be a one-year anniversary. So we still need to figure out what we're gonna do for that. So we'll if, you, if you guys have any ideas for what we can do or cover or anything extra that we could do for our one year anniversary, let us know ASAP so we can get to work on it. All right, guys, I think that's it. We hope you enjoyed. Please keep listening, subscribing. Make sure you share it with your friends. Leave us a rating and a review. Make sure you send us that picture to get a sticker. Um, just share, share, share and download and subscribe and we'll keep cranking them out for you guys. That's pretty much all I have. Anything else? Hashtag weekend at Bernie's. Hashtag weekend at Bernie's and that too, I guess. All right, guys, stay safe and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.
Okay. Gone till November. I'll be gone till November. Edit this out. <laughs> and if I don't? Please edit this out. <laughs> Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.